welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending October 15th, 2022. This week, Streaming Into the Void is brought to you by Netflix, even though they're not paying us a dime. I'm Kim Hollis, who promises not to go into the kitchen again during a Braves game. It may be too late already. (laughs) Well... It's 4-2. Let's see what happens. Also, Tim Bridey, content creator, gamer, and not the mole. That sounds like something the mole would say. I'm not sabotaging things. I'm just really bad at everything. (laughs) (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and someone who will never look at the everything bagel the same way again. Or office trophies, especially (laughs) office trophies. Really office trophies, yes. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's got three children and no free time. The two hours I'll spend today recording this podcast is the longest I'll have to myself. If they put me in a home, I am going to be very upset. (laughs) (laughs) We won't let them. In our deep dive this week, the Netflix ad-supported tier has been revealed. It'll cost $7 per month and launch in November. And they've contracted with UK agency Barb, the Broadcasters Audience Research Board, to measure viewership. Wait a minute. We all know that Barb died during season one. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the only one to have made that joke. Rats. Between 5 and 10% of Netflix content actually is not going to be available on the basic with ads tier, as certain content apparently can't be shown with commercials due to licensing restrictions. That's interesting. Yeah, well, here it comes, folks. I mean, they held off long enough, but the one thing that people always say, well, oh, streaming, there's, there's no ads. Yeah, even Netflix is going to have ads now, unless you want to pay more. <laughs> And a licensing nightmare, which is genuinely a first for them because they're the ones who started it. They're the ones who got all the early contracts mm-hmm. and therefore they have largely sidestepped this. But now everybody's going, wait a minute, our contract specifically says you can't do ads. And the other thing about it, I think we want to emphasize is $7 a month for Netflix is really, really good. They have done this at a point where a lot of people will go, oh yeah, it's $7. I will happily take Netflix again, Mm -hmm. or I will switch down in plans. And that is exactly what their strategy should be, because the first taste is not free, but it's only $85 for the full year. You get people indoctrinated to where they're watching ads during Netflix programming. You keep raising that price, and you're now getting the newfound revenue stream of advertising, which, as we've discussed on this podcast ad nauseum, is where the real big money is. Yeah, they need to be careful that this is much more appealing to new subscribers rather than existing subscribers that are looking to pay less. Granted, so long as Wall Street is more interested in total number of subscribers than the average revenue per user, the ARPU, then they got nothing to worry about. But if that ARPU starts going down because you've got people who are paying the higher tier now downgrading to the lower tier, well, that is less money in the pockets at Netflix. And that's not something they want. Can you imagine what the contract negotiation has been like with Barb and all of the other services that didn't win, by the way? You have to imagine that Netflix had the most draconian rules possible. We will let you see this amount of data right here, and you have to find the most stringent non-disclosure agreements in history, and you can't say a word about any of it. Which leads me to believe that Barb isn't going to be able to be anything resembling transparent about any of this. So, you know, this is more of a 
name only move in my estimation than something we could view as reliable. Right, right, right. The news here isn't that Netflix is launching their ad supported tier. We've seen this coming for a while. The news is the fact that Netflix is willing to let an outside firm measure their viewership for the first time. This was inevitable if they were wanting to sell ads on the platform. Initially, it was reported that Netflix was just going to report their own numbers to advertisers and the advertisers were just going to have to take their word for it. But uh, I guess that didn't go over very well. Of course, none of this means that these numbers will ever be made public. They're probably numbers between Netflix and Barb and the advertisers. None of this is necessarily going to be released to the public ever. But for the first time ever, someone is going to get some insight into the true numbers behind the curtain at Netflix. And that's fascinating. Raul, don't you think part of this is because Netflix's numbers have been down across the board, though? Not that down. Yes. Let's remember that this is all the consequence of Netflix having had a less than spectacular first quarter earlier this year. For the first time ever, they reported a drop in subscribers and they didn't make as many billions of dollars as they usually do. Everyone thought Netflix was on the ropes. Since then, Netflix has been on a tear. I remember at the Enemy Awards where they were making jokes about Netflix struggling. And by then, Netflix is already doing fantastic. They had great numbers from Stranger Things. And I really had to wonder, it's like, how long ago did they write these jokes? Because Netflix isn't struggling. And while there have been some cutbacks and a few layoffs, Netflix is riding high once again. Just this week, they closed the deal to buy a huge parcel of land in New Jersey, and they're planning to build there a new high-tech production studio. This isn't a studio that is struggling. This isn't a studio or a company that's in trouble, but there is one company out there that is in trouble. I guess that means it's time for the Warner Brothers Discovery Death Watch. This week, things went from grim to bleak at Warner Brothers Discovery as the layoffs ramped up. The studio is gutting 26% of their workforce and departments are being cut. Let's just hold that thought for just a second because you hear a number sometimes and you don't think what it means. If there are four people sitting in an office right now, only three of them have jobs. Is that your way of telling me that I'm fired? <laughs> I mean, exactly. On this podcast. Okay, I'll see you guys later. We have to hang up right no. now. Okay. It is a massive percentage of people being cut. Yeah, along with that, Warner Brothers Animation and Cartoon Network Studios are being merged. Stage 13, which produced short-form digital content, is gone. And the studio's storied writer's workshop and the director's workshop were gone and then not gone when the studio was reminded that the director's workshop in particular was mandated by the DGA's collective bargaining agreement. Let's all just hold for a second and think about how bad this is on so many levels. They're just randomly cutting things at this point. They're putting no thought into it. Anybody who tells you, oh no, we we debated this for a while is lying. And they got so sloppy here, they didn't check with the lawyers on some stuff they couldn't do. Which means (laughs) they went through a 24-hour news cycle, a legitimate full-day news cycle of, oh, this historic thing is gone. They took the drubbing from that, and then the next day, they had to come back and say, you know, we've just found out we can't cut that because it's against contracts we've signed. How amateurish are these morons? Yep, they've just got a long spreadsheet and they're crossing things off without any real thought of the consequences. It's sloppy and 
it's not a way to run a company where you want the talent and the expertise to stay on board. They might have cut over a quarter of their workforce, but it pretty much guarantees that many more people, the talented people that they're wishing they could keep, are probably going to walk as well because nobody wants to be in a company that behaves this way. I don't even know at this point if they want to keep those people. That is a cynical evaluation. I own that. But here is my thought process here. Warner Brothers Discovery is making no attempt right now to improve. They're doing the opposite of that. They're not running away from it. They're not hiding from it. They have assets that they believe are timeless in nature and will survive something like this. So they're effectively putting their entire company on life support for an extended period of time until they've got what they consider is a controllable budget so that then they can be sold for parts to someone else. And the thing is, all they're doing throughout this is making each part less valuable. It is maddening to watch. It should be illegal in nature. And if we had any sort of strong government regulations on these things, and yes, we need much, much stronger government regulations on these things, this wouldn't be possible because thousands of people just lost their jobs and David Zaslav is still going to make another quarter billion dollars this year. It's an abomination. The way you describe it, David, it sounds a lot like essentially an IP clearinghouse, a company that accumulates intellectual property, in this case, some very well-regarded intellectual property like the Looney Tunes cartoons characters, Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny, the DC comics characters like Batman, Superman, and other animated characters, Scooby-Doo, and so forth. And they're not really interested necessarily in producing content with it. They're interested in licensing out these characters to other people who will then produce content with it. And that certainly seems to be what's happening right now. For instance, with that new Batman animated series where they're like, no, we really don't want to make it ourselves. Does anybody else want to do it instead? Except this is one of the big studios in Hollywood doing this right now. And it's so, so very tragic. It's a throwback to a 1980s culture, something we haven't seen much of lately, which is the corporate raider philosophy. There was actually a 1991 movie called Other People's Money, where Danny DeVito played Larry the Liquidator. Hilariously enough, yes, it was a Warner Brothers movie, so it was prescient 30 years ahead of its time, wherein he made no attempt to buy companies to make them better. He saw a summary and he wanted to pick apart the pieces because he thought there was more money to be made with each one. That is exactly what John Malone is doing here. And I keep, whenever I say David Zasloff, I need to emphasize he is just the puppet sitting on the lap. All of this is John Malone. That's who's really pulling the strings here. I do want to come back just for a moment. In regards to the writers and directors workshop, it should be noted that the people who were running those have still been showed the door as these workshops have now been moved under Warner Bros. Discovery's diversity unit and will be operated as, I guess, an effort to increase diversity in the industry. And while that is noble and admirable, what people recognize as what was previously the writers workshop and the directors workshop is in essence, gone and replaced by something new with new people running the operation. It's insincere. We all know now, since they've tried to kill it, there will be no legitimate support from the people running Warner Brothers Discovery, which means that they've destroyed this thing. Legally, they can't end it. 
but you know, let's be honest, it'll be a shell and also be a sham. So, you know, the fact that we're talking as if it still exists, it should come with an asterisk. They had every intent of killing it because they don't care about diversity. They don't feel there's enough money in diversity, which is an offensive thought process for any number of other reasons. But we can't even go into that right now. We're just too busy focusing on the fact Warner Brothers Discovery is death by a thousand cutsing itself right now while it decides that it's just going to be comatose for the next three to four years. And it is infuriating to watch. And the most frustrating part of all is envisioning the people trying to write the triumphant comeback stories a few years from now, when in reality, they're only coming back from their own grotesque incompetence and cynicism. So there's one weird pivot in all this, and that relates to their cable channel, TNT, which in a surprising resurgence has acquired the rights to the UK drama series, The Lazarus Project. Initially, it looked like TNT was going to go the way of other cable channels and abandon scripted TV entirely. I mean, they canceled the last of their original scripted shows. Snowpiercer had wrapped up. Chad was off the cable channel. And now they're talking about bringing back scripted television, which is highly unusual. Most cable channels these days, when you look at what's out there, is not doing original scripted content anymore. USA Network was known for that for a long time, and they're out of that business. If you look at FX and FXX, they're doing some stuff, but it's also all on Hulu. And now, for some really unusual reason that I really can't grasp, it looks like they're coming back to doing original scripted content on TNT. I'm not entirely sure where this is coming from. I think that what we're watching right now is the purpose versus the pragmatism. There was a purpose to get rid of all this television, and now they're realizing to keep the advertising levels they need, they must have some content. So they've had to accept the fact that their stated goal was impractical, and now they're finding the cheapest stuff they can to continue to fulfill their contractual obligations. And we're going to keep harping on this because that is what's happening with Warner Brothers Discovery across the board. They're doing the bare minimum contractually. So I'm confident they got the Lazarus Project cheap, just as I'm confident in the fact that they will push it as hard as they can because it'll be one of the few new things they can actually trumpet about TNT, TBS, whatever it winds up with. Now, before we get to the box office and ratings, some rapid fire stories. One of the last holdouts when it comes to running ads on streaming may be about to throw in the towel as Apple's reportedly talking to agencies about running ads on their service. Knowing Apple would be foolish of them not to look into it. Now, whether or not they're actually going to move ahead with it or not is another matter altogether. Seeing third-party advertising on any Apple product is rare, if not, in fact, entirely unprecedented. But, you know, they're doing their due diligence. They've got a trillion dollars in the bank. They could do whatever they want. If they want to advertise their streaming service, which is one of the cheapest streaming services out there, and bring in additional revenue with advertising, it's certainly they're right. At this point, I don't know of any other streaming services that exist that don't have ads. So Apple TV Plus is basically the last the last holdout. Somewhere in an Apple boardroom, we can make how much money if we have advertising? Oh, we're doing that. Yeah, we're doing that. Why do I have the feeling that this will mysteriously coincide with the release of the third season of Ted Lasso? <laughs> what? Tim, you cynic. <laughs> Me? Come on. <laughs> Over at Disney Plus, the premiere of anime series Bleach 
Thousand Year War caused much confusion among fans as the series didn't premiere in Europe or South America. I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is about, but I do know that a lot of people really, really care. Oh my God, I spent an entire day trying to figure out why everyone in certain parts of the world was so angry with Disney. It was unsettling, the rage about Bleach's thousand-year blood war? Nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this series appears to have a pretty loyal following, and it's been a decade since the original Bleach series ended. The fans have been waiting a long time for the sequel. It was hotly anticipated when it came out, and it didn't show up where people were expecting it, folks were understandably upset. And Disney Plus tech support wasn't particularly helpful, sending mixed messages to fans as to why it wasn't available and when, if ever, it would appear on the streaming service. Yeah, right there is the example of the dangers of having inexpensive outsourced tech support. They're giving form levers about any series they've never heard of, not realizing that this is a series people care about. So normally they say, well, you know, generally it's a license right, whatever. Why do you mean it's a licensing right? Where's my bleach? That's what was unfolding throughout. And so Disney's lowest level tech support didn't even know what bleach was. And that made the whole thing that much more infuriating for fans, which made it swell up that much more. And Raul, don't you think to a certain extent, this is what should have happened more with what happened with HBO cutting the Adult Swim stuff? Undoubtedly, there was a lot of very fervent fans of those programs as well. The difference here, I would argue, is that Disney Plus has a higher subscriber base than HBO Max. And Disney takes bad PR a lot more personally than Warner Bros. Discovery does. Warner Bros. Discovery was already reeling from a lot of bad news related to Batgirl, and that's what everybody talked about. So when they pulled a bunch of those Cartoon Network series off of HBO Max, never to be seen anywhere ever again, that really got drowned out in the Batgirl story. The other thing I'll add here is that at the time that we're recording this episode, there hasn't been an update, which isn't great since the initial story broke more than four days ago. Disney is caught here in an issue where they don't have an optimal quick solution and they've gone into radio silence, which is just making fans angrier. Yeah, after a lot of mixed messages from first tier tech support, ultimately a PR message went out that it's not currently available in these regions, but Disney is working to make it available, which is to say that, you know, Someday, maybe years from now, they'll buy the rights and make it available there. This is not something that's going to change in the immediate future. Disney has some licensing lawyers working at it, but this is a consequence of regional licensing and release strategies. It is a licensing nightmare. In a global world where a streaming service is available to everyone everywhere, you expect the same shows to to be available to everyone everywhere. And if it's not, you'd better be clear as to why that is. And And they weren't ready for this. And finally, it's almost the holiday season again, so people will be looking for the Peanuts holiday specials once more. Since the launch of Apple TV+, Snoopy and Charlie Brown have been the exclusive domain of the streamer. But from the start, fans rebelled, and Apple gave in by allowing their holiday specials to air on PBS. This year, they won't be on PBS, but they'll be on Apple TV+, 
for free. This is the sad reality of the modern television viewing world. Watching these holiday and Christmas specials on TV was an annual tradition and it still can be, but you have to pull up the app and select a show. It's going to take some time for folks to get used to this new paradigm. And if this sounds familiar to some of you, yes, it's basically the same approach that they've been taking with Friday Night Baseball, where you don't have to pay anything, but you do have to use the app. And I think that for a service like this, that's actually a smart business practice because it trains people. You should be checking Apple TV Plus more than you currently are. Yep. Actually, that was the thing I was going to add, David, was I think they need to do a better job of uh, if they put something out for free, making people aware that you don't need to be subscribed to Apple TV Plus to watch it, nor do you need an Apple device. Like you can watch it on Odessa. I watched a bunch of Friday Night Baseball games on my computer just by going to Apple TV, you know, and pe- people were very mad online all season long. They're like, they're like, oh, I don't want to subscribe to a service. Well, it's free. Like, well, I don't have a, I don't have an iPhone. You don't need an iPhone. You can watch it on computer. They, they need to make it clear that you can just watch these things. You don't have to have you know, an Apple device or subscribe. And I'm just going to toss this out there that Apple doesn't own the peanuts. The peanuts are actually owned by a Canadian, let's call it an IP company, as we were describing Warner Bros. Discovery earlier, an IP company called Wild Brain that owns a number of different brands. They own, in addition to the Peanuts, they own Strawberry Shortcake. I think they own uh, Caillou and Inspector Gadget. And they just license these out to other companies, other studios, other streaming services. So it could very well be that one day the Peanuts will be back on ABC or they'll show up on Netflix instead. But that's the nature of these companies when they license things out. The fact that it is a Canadian company, I find humorous because it seems between Wild Brain and Entertainment One, which owns Hasbro now, these two Canadian companies own most of my 1980s childhood. All right, Tim, before we talk about the ratings, I do believe we have some box office news to discuss this week. Yeah. And um, I think we actually have some good news. Mm -hmm. So while last weekend, the two opening movies, Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile did 11.4 million and Amsterdam did 6.4 million. That's that's not the good news. The interesting thing is the weekend winner was Smile, a movie we talked about a couple weeks ago, that, you know, the, the creepy horror movie that used some viral marketing at, you know, baseball games and, uh, and online. It dropped 18% in its second weekend to 18.5 million. That's that's ridiculous. That's that sort of thing is not supposed to happen, especially with a horror movie. Yeah, it is currently sitting with 62.5 million and will probably be another, it'll be right at 70 million or close enough by the end of the weekend. That is a very, very solid success, which means that we're going to see more creepy smiles at sporting events, I yeah, guess. Pr- probably. Yeah. I mean, its budget was like slightly higher than you think. I think I read 18 to 20 million, but that's still going to actually be a, a winner, which is, which is good to see because the box office is in need of of a win. Um, this weekend, though, we have something very interesting, and it's worth mentioning because here's Halloween Ends. It is much like a movie that released last year, Halloween Kills, is day and date in theaters and on Peacock. Now, it did a Friday number of 20 million. That's excellent. And in yeah. case you think that's down, uh, Hall- Halloween Kills did 22.8 million. So that's still very solid. What we're seeing here is the one thing we've been saying all along that Peacock gets right, which is day and date. They know that there are certain genres that if you give people the option of watching at home versus watching in theaters, fans will do both. And the promise of a Halloween movie where Jamie Lee Curtis finally kills Michael Myers worked last year, and it probably didn't work 
quite as well this year because, well, we knew they lied to us last year. But, you know, <laughs> we promised this time. This is it. This is the Halloween end. ends for real in 2023. I'm <laughs> sure we'll do slightly worse, but similar. <laughs> nope. Jamie Lee Curtis has swore this is the final time she's playing Laurie's Road. So we but will she see. Likes money, right? I'm sure she does. Yes. So who knows at this point? But yeah, it's this is this is very good. This is it is the same like the exact same strategy. It's actually only on amusingly enough, I was looking this up. It's only a peacock for 60 days and then it disappears. And would you like to guess what streaming service currently has Halloween kills? Oh no. No, I would not. It's actually on HBO Max. Oh, I don't drink enough. I- I don't. It's so oh, weird. No. It's so what the weird. F- yes. In yeah. Fact, in fact, the Hall- the Halloween movies are all over the place. Actually, the majority of them are either on Shutter or Pluto, and two of them are nowhere to be found at all. And Peacock has just some random ones. They have the original Halloween two from nineteen eighty one, Halloween three, the two thousand nine Halloween two, the sequel to the two thousand seven Halloween is no- is nowhere. The twenty eighteen reboot is nowhere. And Halloween ends is currently on, on Peacock. The rest, it's very, very, this is the epitome of a licensing nightmare, the Halloween franchise. Yeah. The real horror here is trying to figure out where to find a Halloween movie. This is a reflection of myopic licensing strategies. We see this all the time with the Star Trek movies that are on Paramount Plus until they're not on Paramount Plus, And then they jump over to Netflix or they jump over to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. We see this, we see this with the James Bond movies where there's so many of them and you have to look around to find out where you're supposed to be able to watch them you know where you can find all the marvel movies disney plus it's not hard and yet these other studios didn't do the same thing disney did and so good luck finding every movie in a franchise when I saw this list, and I saw it on, on Twitter. It is it is hysterical that this is the movies are just spread out all, all over the place. Half of them are on you know free ad supported services, <laughs> or just or just nowhere. Uh, but yeah, no this this is actually you know like still twenty twenty point two million. It'll come in with a little over forty million, and that's that's a big badly needed win for the box office. And Smile is still holding very well, so um, horror is still going to be a winner for theaters going forward. It, it's not all going to be tentpoles at Marvel movies. Meanwhile, La La Crocodile is at 17.4 million after eight days. And Amsterdam, a very, very expensive project, is just under 10 million mm-hmm. after eight days. It is a $100 million loss in oh. all probability. So we're looking here at Halloween Ends, which is available to watch for, you know, free on Peacock, and people are still going to theaters for it, versus a film with an amazing cast in Amsterdam that they can't convince anybody to go watch. Too bad for David O. Russell, who's a total trash bag. <laughs> Tim, every once in a while, you'll mention to me what like the top 10 songs are on the Billboard charts or the iTunes charts. And I'm sure you're making up half of those. <laughs> like, y- yes. I've, the box office has become the same because... I've heard a lot of people talk about something called Lyle Lyle Crocodile, but I'm pretty sure that is not a real I, I was like, that cannot be a real movie title. Right? Oh, That's sadly, what I... Sadly, we have seen <laughs> way too many commercials for it. It is real and it is tragic. Yeah, I, I thought I was being pranked for a moment when I saw the like upcoming releases. I'm like, this isn't a real movie. And no, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a kid. It's aimed at it's aimed at kids. But, you know, it's it's fitting that Raul is talking about music here because the main voice in the film is Sean Mendez. Yes, I did find that out too as well. Yes. And I believe this will, it, it actually may sneak in uh, one one last time, but Top Gun Maverick just spent last weekend its 20th weekend in release. 
all in the top 10. $714 million. That's absolutely ridiculous. All right. Well, box office is fun. Are the ratings just as fun? Uh, Well, we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, September 12th to Sunday, September 18th. And uh, it's not as exciting as last week. And there there might be a reason for that because of what's going to happen next week. Uh, But more on that in a moment. No surprise, your most watched show of the week is Cobra Kai. An impressive 1.9 billion minutes for 50 total episodes. This was the first week of the availability, full availability of its fifth season. So yeah, I'm not surprised at all that, that it's here, that it's dominating everything else on the list, but I do think it will drop off fairly quickly because this the show has its huge fans. It it peaks very quickly and then quickly disappears from the list. Yeah, we saw with season three that it hung around for a long time, but that was holiday related. This yep. isn't that situation. And also I do believe that there is some diminishing popularity for the franchise. They're um I don't want to say they're stretching it, but the storyline for the most recent season is the villain from Karate Kid 3 versus pretty much everyone else in the Karate Kid universe, save for Hillary Swank. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really joking here. Right. We, we did talk about that last week, and it's just, yeah, they're they're really, really reaching. It is the, the, the nostalgia and the throwbacks is is very funny to me. But yeah, it feels like they are they're reaching the end. I think with what we know, there's just going to be one more season, right? Yes. Yeah. And it better feature Hillary Swank because then you you then you have you have it all. I doubt it will because she's actually on an ABC television show right now. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> uh in second we have the Lord of Rings, Rings of Power, up to four episodes, 988 million minutes. This is of course from Prime Video. Still no sight of football on the list. So I guess we're just not gonna count it or it's not drawing in enough enough viewers. Yeah, that's what I expect. Well, it's not that, but uh <laughs> how bad the games are, people still watch. And yes, the games are terrible. They've had the winning team score 12 points two straight weeks. It's been <laughs> That gruesome. As we record this, the uh, Rings of Power season finale just happened on Thursday, and it revealed Sauron, and uh, I don't want to say anything else without spoiling anything, but there's another surprising bit about it. So now that people have had time to understand where the season was going, there are a lot of fans going back and re-watching to pick up the pieces, and it actually sounds like they did a relatively strong job. I, I cheated. I went Ahead and just skip to the last 20 minutes. I've actually watched this, some of this and Kim has it, which is hysterical to me. Uh, but uh, I liked what they did. So uh, I, I think that they've actually prepared for season two to have better ratings. I want to bring up a conversation that we had offline once about the Rings of Power and Thursday Night Football. And was it a coincidence that these shows are both on Thursdays? And it's, well, no, of course, it's not a coincidence that Thursday Night Football is on Thursdays. That's when it airs. But why is Amazon? playing the rings of power on thursdays and and i think it has to do with the lead-in if you watch thursday night football all you get is ads for the rings of power you get al michaels telling you about the orc army and after football you can watch <laughs> the, the rings of power i forgot about that yep so you you can expect that there's spillover but i think this was the week this was week two of thursday night football which was the first week of the regular season and the fact that it is not on this chart is head scratching. Yeah, Rowell makes an exceptional point here. When we used to study television behavior in the 1980s and 1990s, one of the things that come across 
across if you go back and do it is the criteria of the lead in was the most scrutinized thing in boardrooms. And what that meant was if you had a show like Seinfeld or Friends that was the number one show on television, you had to accentuate it every way you could. You had to make sure that the shows getting to it and after it were maximizing that viewing audience. The same thing applies here where Amazon has very meticulously slotted Lord of the Rings. It is admittedly the usual day of the week for new Amazon titles, but they have put it with Thursday Night Football to ensure it gets the most possible attention and eyeballs. And while we're joking about Al Michaels' inability to understand what the Orc Army is, the reality is that during Thursday Night Football, he spent the entire time saying, you have to stay tuned for the season finale of The Rings of Power. That is 10 million people being informed that there is a Lord of the Rings show ending that night, and that does draw the kind of attention that should spike its numbers. Yeah, curiously, the official release date for the episodes is Fridays, but they're just dropping it. Are they really dropping it immediately after the football game is over? Because I would assume that would, those would end right before midnight Eastern. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that sounds right. That, yeah. That's that that is actually, yeah, that is kind of brilliant. Yeah. So I, I give full full marks for for that for that approach. I guess there's more uh, overlap between football fans and uh, Lord of the Rings fans than that than I I thought. I do wonder. It used to be, of course, with traditional television, when you were done watching Friends on NBC, another show came on and that show got a lot of that spillover. Mm-hmm. What happens when Thursday night football stops playing on Amazon? Does another show start playing? And is that other show the rings of power? Hmm. That's a terrific question. Uh, I will have to look for that next. Or more curiously, you have it reversed. More curiously, what what show will they promote to be on football since the Rings of Power season is now finished? Yeah, I'm actually wondering about that one as well. I'm thinking back over the last few weeks, all the shows we've been mentioning on Amazon, and there has been no marquee show that I can think of. Yeah, they don't have many, and they're none of them are are active. I think what's their next big one is something like what either Reacher or Jack Ryan, but those are still months away. I think this is intriguing. I'm really wondering in a couple of weeks when the Rings of Power has no new episodes, what old show is going to be playing after Thursday Night Football that's suddenly going to appear on this chart? Ooh, good now. point. Yeah. yeah. And I'm kind of wincing as I think about it from a different way. They had the really good sci-fi television series with Sissy Spacek that the people basically had an alternate universe in their backyard and critics loved it and they could not get people to watch it. If you had saved that a couple of months until after Rings of Power, I think it would have gotten the attention that would have justified additional seasons. This is kind of an interesting new tool in Amazon's arsenal where they can turn anything into an attention-grabbing hit if they slot it where Al Michaels is reading the promos badly <laughs> on Thursday nights. That, yeah, that one and Paper Girls, both of those deserve right. a better lead-in, but neither of those really is that young male football demographic. So I don't know that. Yeah, they probably looked at it and said, no, we can't put this after. Oh, you're, okay. You're talking about Night, actually, night, you're talking about night, night Sky, okay, yeah. that guy, which was which has been canceled. I was initially thinking Outer Range, which, which has been renewed. I apologize, yes. When I'm talking about Night Sky and when Roland is talking about an even better example, which is Paper Girls. We're talking about shows that should have found audiences but didn't. With Thursday Night Football, they really do have that ability to create hits. But instead, because they have a $700 million investment in Lord of the Rings, they felt like that was the one that deserved prioritization. But, you know, we've still got 13 more weeks of football this year, which means two more series can get the Thursday Night Football bump. And it's fascinating to watch what they choose. 
Right. We saw it return to the list last week for reasons in the news, the death of the queen, but the crown is now up to third, 796 million minutes. I, I guess people were just really, because it, it was still in the news very much at this point in, in September, because it was just a few days after it happened. So they were like, yeah, hey, ooh, let's watch the crown. <sighs> Come on, people, stop being so predictable. Anyway, we do have something new in fourth, Sins of Our Mother, uh, 661 million minutes viewed for a three-episode limited series. I had to double-check that we had talked about this, but nope, we did, even though I couldn't recall what it was about. This is, I think, uh, the story of the two children that went missing in Idaho and were later found dead, and the mother who may have joined a doomsday cult. Yeah, given that description, I'm not surprised it's here because Netflix viewers are just terrible. Okay. Way into doomsday cults. Yeah. Okay. And unhappy things like this. Oh, just wait till next week, folks. All right. Uh, We do have a show returning in fifth. This is The Handmaid's Tale from Hulu. 48 episodes total now, 581 million minutes viewed. The first two episodes of the fifth season arrived on the 14th, and they will be weekly, actually, through November for a 10-episode season. Yeah, this is, as much as we hype about Only Murders in the Building, this is probably still their their flagship show because it's their most watched Only Murders in the Building. While it has less episodes, doesn't reach yeah, these, these viewership numbers, at least on the Nielsen rating. So we should be seeing that one for the next several weeks, at least. Uh, some more shows we have seen before. The Devil in Ohio in six, 552 million minutes for eight episodes. The Imperfects, saw that last week, 533 million minutes for 10 episodes. Another show returning, uh, Fate, The Wink Saga, 524 million minutes for 13 episodes. The second season of seven episodes arrived on the 16th. That for the first was January 2021. Yeah, that one is does have a little following. Yeah, it's a, a teen series based on on some sort of uh oh okay it's a live action series based on like an animated show i mentioned this one to uh to my kids and they're outraged it's nothing like the original <laughs> yes rule has daughters if you were wondering about his kids yes okay. <laughs> stranger things is still here in ninth 479 million minutes and wrapping up original she hulk attorney at law now up to five episodes 403 million minutes so Madison and Wongers did not bring in the viewers after after that episode. But I do hope that those viewers stick around for the for the finale. Over in movies, uh, it's that the same top two movies as last week, but big drops from their numbers the previous week, led by Thor, Love and Thunder, 621 million minutes. And in second, still Pinocchio, 510 million minutes, both on Disney+. Plus. Pretty standard drops for, for these, right? Yeah, Pinocchio had the big drop, but at the same time, still strong enough to be number two. I don't know if that's a condemnation of all the other movies on this chart, because Pinocchio, honestly, that is not a strong number, but good enough for number two. Yeah, not a, not a big week. We do have some some actual new movies appear on this list that are actually from 2022 and not from like, you know, 2007, uh, but their numbers are <laughs> not that great. Uh, we'll get to those in a moment. But the next few are actually things we, we have seen before. Um End of the Road is up to third, 411 million minutes viewed. Morbius, still Morbin time for another week or two, 378 million minutes in fourth. Uh, <laughs> Despicable Me Too, 306 million minutes. Oh, Roll, you um, theorized. We didn't talk about this last week, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think I figured it out. Why is Despicable Me Too on the chart, but not the first one or the third one, even though they're all on Netflix? And it's because what's the latest movie in this franchise? Minions 2. So when you look for Minions 2 and you get Despicable Me 2, <laughs> that's what people watch. 
Yeah, it didn't jump out at me last week. I figured it's just okay. It's kids movie, or maybe it had returned to to Netflix in September. It didn't, but because I feel like we had seen this before. But yeah, that's the most logical explanation. Here are two new movies, though. One a Netflix original, one a theatrical release, sixth and seventh. First and sixth is Do Revenge, two hundred seventy four million minutes. We kind of expected to see that one here, right? Yeah, maybe expected to see it higher. I yeah, but I expected. I I definitely recall like seeing motion for it so i kind of expected it to be a better number the description was like a very loose adaptation of say like strangers on a train but translated to like you know high school yeah dark comedy set in high school it's got a very heathers vibe to it i think we expected this to do better the fact that it's here is probably still a win even if it is a light week for movies but if you had asked me when we were discussed it on what's new i said that they would it would make the ratings and you know become with probably a better number curious if we'll see it again it this actually is just a three-day number, so there's a chance it gets a, a bump next week. I mean, we did see that for the light bump for End of the Road, which premiered last week. So yeah, I think we'll, we'll see it around, stick around for another week, barring a bunch of new movie releases, but I don't think that's that's coming. Also new on the list this week in seventh is Father Stew, 260 million minutes. This was a theatrical release with Mark Wahlberg as a uh, unconventional priest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's got a bit of a faith-based angle to it. I mean, when you think of faith-based, you think of Mark Wahlberg. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. (laughs) And it gets worse from there because it also has, in featured roles, Mel Gibson and Malcolm (laughs) McDowell, two of the most despised people in the industry. So this is a very, very weird project. And Tim, the the NXT woman that nobody can stand, Nikita Lyons, also has a role in this. So it is definitely track central. Yeah, avoid at all costs. Okay, yes. Not only can she not wrestle very well, she's a terrible person. All right. Uh, it it actually only somehow only cost four million to make and made about twenty million in theaters, so it it was profitable. And hey, here it is on on Netflix, and people said, "Oh, Mark Wahlberg," and then probably watched it. And were like, "Um, what 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 did I just watch? This was this isn't me time. What's going on?" Anyway, we wrap up movies with stuff we've seen before. Sing 2 has been around forever, 250 million minutes. Elvis from HBO Max, still here in 9th, 246 million minutes. And Encanto returning to the movie's chart, so all is right with the world in 10th, 232 million minutes. Yeah, if you had told me that Do Revenge would only get 40 million more minutes than Encanto, that would have stunned me. Right? And funny you should mention Me Time because it's not here at all. It was only at 418 million minutes last week, so it was barely hanging on, but it's totally off the charts this week. Yeah, that that tends to happen with the the Netflix originals, unless they start out with a huge number. They just tend to to drop off at a pretty sustained clip. Originals is, uh, I'll call it nine shows we've seen before, led unsurprisingly by House of the Dragon, 916 million minutes now for its five episodes. Probably will dominate this list for... For, if it's not through its original release, but maybe for up to a couple months after after it, because I don't really see it going away for a little bit. The other thing to track here is that the gap has closed dramatically between Lord of the Rings and it. It's only 28 million. So we're trending toward next week, actually possibly having a different outcome. Yeah, I expect House of the Dragon to, to beat it by the end. Does that mean the Game of Thrones universe is more popular than Lord of the Rings? Or is it perhaps a measure of HBO Max is more readily available of Nielsen's measurements than than uh, Prime Video. I actually think it's a matter of promotion because while HBO Max is super duper broke and unwilling to spend, <laughs> they went nuts on this one. Whereas I actually think that Amazon hasn't gone all out on Rings of Power yet. It's kind of like they were hedging their bets to make sure that the first season worked out okay. 
I said nine shows we've seen before because I'm not sure we've seen the show that's actually in second. This is In the Dark, 825 million minutes for 51 episodes. I was like, wait, what the heck is this? And it's <laughs> another CW show that completed its season and then arrived on Netflix just you know a week later. That model is almost out of time for them now. This this may be one of the, the last last hurrahs. This was its fourth and uh, final season, actually. So this show is this show completed its run on September fifth of this year, and all the episodes are available on Netflix. Let's be honest; it's everything on the CW's final season. <laughs> <laughs> Many of them did not know it, but it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the HBO Max shows we've seen before are here. Bluey's still here in a 503 million minutes. So it's a, it's a very strong acquired list powered by HBO Max, Cocomelon, all, all the usual suspects. Uh, but yeah, overall quiet week, uh, especially compared to last week. And uh, hold on to your butts, folks, because next <laughs> week we get the Dahmer uh, series. Oh. And that's going to be bigger than you think. I am sorry. Oh, we are very hard to pretend it doesn't exist and they're going to make it impossible because we already know the numbers and oh, what is wrong with people. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that. But that's all I've got for ratings for this week. All right. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And we've watched a few things, but I actually finished reading a book of short stories called The Gathering Dark, which it says is a book of folklore. And it is, but it is all new stories. It's a new release of scary stories. Very fun. I like to read books from the horror genre during the month of October. And I recommend this one. You can get through it pretty quickly. Lots of different types of scares in it and it's a little bit meditative and thoughtful as well so i recommend it how about you raul i was weighing what i was gonna talk about this week werewolf by night on disney plus is a whole lot of fun the season finale of she hulk attorney of law i don't think i loved it as much as other people the whole breaking of the fourth wall that one went down for too long but still entertaining and fun i did end up seeing uh minions uh, the rise of Gru. that movie is is there's a lot going on in that movie. That movie's wild. It's rare that you have to watch an animated movie more than once just to catch everything that happened in it. But that one's interesting. I will tell you, though, about an animated series, a Cartoon Network series that plays on HBO Max, one that they haven't removed and eliminated from existence entirely yet. And that's a show called Craig of the Creek. This is a show that one of my kids has watched every season of, and she's wanted me to watch it with her. And uh, I'm glad she asked me to watch it with her. It's a lot of fun. Uh, There's a, a young boy called Craig and his two friends who hang out in this backyard forested area, the creek, and every episode, which is only about 12 minutes long, they encounter new friends in the creek and have different adventures. There is a surprising amount of entertainment value in it for an adult, but still also very entertaining for children. It should be noted that there is a new season of Craig of the Creek coming up, but Warner Bros. Discovery and their Infinite Wisdom have cut their episode order in half. At least they haven't canceled it entirely yet. There was also an upcoming spinoff of uh, Craig's little sister, Jessica, a series called Jessica's Big Little World. They've cut that episode order in half, but they're also moving ahead with it. And yes, as they do with other popular Cartoon Network series, they are doing a movie. You've seen this with uh, We Bear Bears and with Steven Universe, and there is a Craig of the Creek movie coming up. So uh, watch for that as well. It's a lot of fun and uh, 
it's great fun for uh, kids and adults. That's awesome. Tim, what has been keeping you busy? Uh, as we talked about a couple times, uh, the mole is back and I'm happy to report that uh, the first five episodes, which I which I watched, it's very, very good. It does bring back the uh, the fun of the, the first couple of non-celebrity seasons. The players are all just immediately suspicious of each other. It's it's hysterical. But you do get to, to like a lot of these people once they stick around. I was actually really happy for them when they successfully completed uh, a, a task. They actually do some uh, interesting things in this one. They, they did something where they didn't, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it never happened in the previous seasons where an eliminated player has a chance to return and a couple of them revealed themselves to be completely terrible people and it, it was just like I was absolutely shocked it was it was just the most it was I, like I could not believe that they did that one person is probably so obviously the mole that it's that that it clearly can't be her so it is just like they're just showing all this misdirection and she's she's making it too too obvious and she wants to apparently wants if she's not the mole she wants to win at all costs regardless of how much money they make and that's a terrible strategy in my opinion uh, but no it is it is a lot of fun I'm looking forward to the checking out the next couple episodes. Alex Wagner, an MSNBC host, is actually pretty good as host. She's clearly having fun with it. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the episodes. I hope you guys get to check it out as well, because I know we were all excited that it's back. And David? We kind of sent out a dog whistle earlier with the introductions. We watched everything, everywhere, all at once. And so if you understood that introduction, you've seen it too. And if you didn't, I completely understand your confusion. Oh. Here, as I can tell, this was what would have happened if Jackie Chan had been the lead in the matrix because it has the jackie chan sense of humor with michelle yo in the lead as an absolute badass protagonist who just happens to be a very very frustrated woman who doesn't know she's a badass in every other alternate universe and it was originally written for jackie chan and they realized that it would be much much better with michelle yo and they were right and i'm still processing we watched this less than 24 hours ago and i'll just say i'd expected to be talking about the boys we've seen the entire season of the boys now i can't think about anything else but this movie and uh, i mean i'm in awe of it and i'm also confused by it it is definitely challenging me in unconventional ways. Kim, what do you think about when you remember the movie? I thought it was really good. It was unusual. It was different. It was creative. There was so much happening and there is a lot to process. David is absolutely right, but it's certainly brave and unique and there's nothing like it. And I think it's very interesting that it's executive produced by the Russo brothers because apparently they like multiverses. The other thing is, it's funny, but it is... Oh, it's funny, yes. The conceit of the film is she can only unlock her powers by doing the most random thing imaginable. However, she's not the only one who can do this. Anyone with a kind of headset can. So the enemies against her are also trying to do super weird things at a given time and mm-hmm. there's really a guy not wearing pants who comes flying in out of nowhere at one point to try and do something and it's gonna haunt me the rest of my life yeah yeah <laughs> i think kim and i both agree you should absolutely watch this right kim absolutely yes it's well worth your time you will never see anything else like it and by the way jamie lee curtis appears in what is quite possibly the weirdest role of her career mm-hmm. Third, <laughs> hot dog fingers mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 